Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Susie Herrick, a psychotherapist, mediator and trainer, also an author. Susie's life and her work are very evident in her new book, A Collaboration with El Luna. It's titled, Your Story is Your Power, Free Your Feminine Voice. This is really so important all of the time, but it is really timely that the book is just out now and such a great tool for us to use going forward and truly discovering the power within ourselves. So let's meet Susie now to glean some insights. Susie Herrick, good morning and thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Good morning, Katie. Thank you for having me on your show. Really appreciate this. And you know what? The appreciation, actually, I'm going to toss right back to you for numerous reasons, one of which is this wonderful, important new book I hold in my hand, Your Story is Your Power, Free Your Feminine Voice. And goodness, all of that, all of those words are so powerful and important. So for that, I am grateful, Susie, that you have written this book and you're bringing it to us. And in the course of our conversation here this morning, we'll also let people know that they have uh, a couple more opportunities to really learn more deeply and on a more personal level, I think, because you're going to be here in our Seattle area later this week, correct? That's right. We'll be there on March 9th at a, an event called Think Space, and it's at 6 p.m., uh, you'll have to buy tickets, but it's, we'll be giving a talk and uh, have time for questions and answers and book signing. And then we'll also be there on March 10th, the next day, at the Women's Catalyst at the Riveter, and that's at 2 p.m. So we're looking forward to those events, and please come. Yes, definitely plan on it. And you can find these details on the Warm 106.9 website. Look under Sunday mornings. So let's look then at... Uh, part of the basis, I guess, of doing these workshops, of having these events, is your book, Your Story is Your Power. Now, the book has been something I understand, uh, as books often are, something that's been germinating over a period of time. And the timing of it, as uh, so often happens, it's just one of those wonderful ways the universe works that it comes to us at this time when we uh, perhaps most greatly need it. Does it feel mm -hmm. that way to you, Susie? Yeah. It, it really feels that way with this book in particular. It, the timing is extraordinary. It's been germinating for a long time, and, and the fact that it's come out now, right after the Me Too movement and uh, all the stuff that's coming out in the political arena and people, it's just, it's been an amazing moment in time to have all this converge in a very uh, synchronistic or magical way. Both. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. And so what is wonderful is that the two things work so well together, I feel. Having a book, because it's something that we can always refer back to. Having you here in Seattle with these events that are coming up on the weekend, uh, another way to just make it even that much more uh, succinct within ourselves because that one-on-one -on -one contact, because I think it feels that way when we go to an event. It, it, we can feel that direct connection mm -hmm. with with the author, with the presenter, uh, with the workshop coordinator, that kind of thing. So it, mm -hmm. that, too, I think is a really great gift for us. Yeah, I think any connection around this is so important because this is so much about community. 
And uh, I think that any time that you can connect with people that are really on this path, so to speak, um, it really, I think, grounds the material, grounds the possibility for change. And it makes it, uh, I think, the awareness that comes from this can make it seem even more solid within us. And finding that community, I think, is another big part of it. So we don't feel like we're so isolated or alone. I think we're beginning Mm -hmm. to have that sense, aren't we? But this, I think, will make it even that much uh, deeper and stronger. Yeah. In fact, I was just at a conference this last weekend called Wisdom 2.0, and Tarana Burke was there from the Me Too um, movement, and she, that was her emphasis, was that it's about uh, community, developing a safe space for people to talk and getting that sense that they're not alone and it's not an isolated event. So it can really have time to heal in, in community, and as, the more that we do this, the more that um, we can change the environment. So that that these experiences that she's working on, which is you know, vic, uh, you know, survivors of of violence, sexual crimes, that that they can uh, have a space to really communicate what's gone with other people and come up with ways to intervene or uh, work on these issues. Exactly. And, you know, we have to feel encouraged, I, I think, that, we, that, that this is finally happening, painful as it is and raw as it is, the fact that we know that we can express ourselves and really find connection with others for support through it is vitally important. Yeah. And I feel that what you're doing for us too, Susie, with the book, your story is your power, free your feminine voice, is a way for us uh, on whatever regular basis we want to set up for ourselves is almost like um, a, a toolkit. Uh, it's experiential in itself, isn't it? Oh, yeah, very experiential. The whole book is designed to give experience so that you can get to the center of who you are and find out what you really feel and what you really think take away, you know, learn how to work with the, the blocks to the voice. And so there's a lot of exercises in the book that you can do to do that. And that, I think, is something that many of us would feel we struggle with, is, you know, coming to that point of, of what is it? But you help us to to reach that place to really take that time. And and that's the thing. We need to set some time. It doesn't have to be an entire day or days, but we may find that that's what we can do and want to do. But we're able to kind of go beneath the surface and, and find some of those roots of what's causing what's going on with us today, right? I mean, that is really the, the essence, I think, of the task in the book, which is how to you know, we, we come at it from three different um, levels, and the, the first level is culture, how we've been impacted by culture and how culture can dampen our voice, and then take a look at family interactions and family, what we call family transmission process through the generations and how that can affect the voice. So, um, for example, uh, you might find that a generation ago that, that women were treated a certain way and then 
find out later how that has affected you particularly. Like in my family, you know, it's very, it was very um, clear early on when I was a kid that men were first. Men got the resources. Men were given the tools they needed to succeed, and women were expected to learn how to relate and take care of the home. But the men were expected to have all these, you know, tools to succeed. So like in my uh, one point when I asked my father for a typewriter, this is how old I am, right? But I asked my father for a typewriter when I was in college to type my papers. Um, his comment was, what do you need a typewriter for? And I said, well, I need a you know, typewriter to type my papers. And my, um, I said, my younger brother, who's in high school, has a typewriter. And he said, well, that's because he needs to type his papers. So it's like this kind of feedback loop. And I realized that, that that was a generational issue, right? And so as soon as I brought it to consciousness with him, he was able to shift. And I started to get slowly what were the little things that gave me the message that I wasn't supposed to ask for these things. And that is something that unless we take the time to really consider those stories, go back at at that, we might just have that ruminating inside of us and, and have these issues surface in our life, but we don't understand why. Once we understand, it, it's not like everything's fine, but it begins to bring clarity that we can live our life differently. We can find, as in the subtitle, free your feminine voice. We can find that voice. Isn't that the way it goes? It really is. And I think the thing that I, you know, I've been a, a psychotherapist for a long time, and it's amazing to see how people are affected by what happens in the environment and how that impacts their capacity to have agency for themselves or to have uh, motivation to shift or change. And so some people naturally are really assertive, but a lot of people have, have to learn how to step out and say what they really think. And it takes time. So one of the quotes that we use in the book that I think is particularly poignant is by a neuroscientist. And he says, we are like fish challenged to understand water. Since the fish has never experienced anything else, it is almost impossible for it to see or conceive of the water. But a bubble rising past the inquisitive fish can offer a critical clue. In a sense, the water that we're in is part of our story or is our story. And when we can start to see what it is and get more conscious of what, what's impacted us, then we can take a look at what's kept us from you know, doing or saying what we really think. And women have really taken the brunt of this because it's culturally, it's been a cultural imperative that women not really speak, not really say. And that's that cultural piece. And sometimes that surfaces in family as well, uh, maybe for all children, but certainly as we were growing up for young girls, at least in the past, it may still be that way with certain cultures that that it is the girl child that is supposed to, you know, take the back seat to not be mm-hmm. heard, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many examples that have come up. Uh, while we were doing this work that, that are extraordinary, like, um, you know, women that have been attacked um, or, uh, you know, women that have been attacked in their own families for trying to get visible and how they've had to learn not to ask for their needs directly, but ask for them kind of through a back door, like kind of try to figure out how to get their needs met 
without saying directly, because in some cases, if a woman asks for her needs directly, it opens her up for ridicule or even in some families, domestic violence. And so this content is not that easy to do, but at the same time, once you do it, it, it opens these doors to figure out how to present oneself, how to really stand up. And when you say it's not necessarily easy to do, the thing is, though, it's critically important to do because that awareness is so empowering. It really can release us and allow us to become all of who we are to be. Yes. Uh, thanks for clarifying that. I think that in my experience of doing this, this is some of the most fulfilling work that can be done. Uh, we use the metaphor of the labyrinth throughout the book, yes. which is a, is a symbol of going to the center of the self and going on that journey. And one of the, there are two, two symbols that are kind of inter- intertwined. It's one is the spiral, which means going internal. And the other one is the meander, that these things take time. And so uh, with the meander particularly, a lot of people say, well, I really want to change, you know, really fast. And I really want to get my dad to change. And I really want to get my parents to change. And what we're saying is, is that once you step on this path, it may feel like that you are um, not getting anywhere at some point, or it may feel like it's going too slowly, but it takes time for the person to really digest what they've learned and then how to step out from that material. And the, the that is a process. I guess that's the other part in my experience is it's lifelong. Uh, things don't change, and then that's just the way they are. We're not those kinds of stagnant beings. Right. right. And and yeah. so, too, um, the other thing that strikes me in, the, in how you said that, too, Susie, is for us to be aware that uh, we want our family members to change or the person in my relationship to change. But the fact of the matter is we can't do anything about that. We only have power over ourselves to change and we need to just take consolation in that and and know that in our changing, others will make their own changes, but we can't expect them to do the change, right? Well, that's, that's really why we wrote the book because um, it's so frustrating um, to be in relationships or, you know, be out there in the environment and take on a lot of the negativity that comes from, from trying to change or take on the negativity for, you know, you know, shifting culture, like, you know, dealing with a parent or a sibling or dealing with a boss or dealing with someone that can't see the pain that you're in. And what we, the reason we wrote the book is that we found that when we changed inside, when we really um, had impact on our internal world, the external would follow. And so I'll give you an example of that with my, um, with my father uh, I spent many years trying to change him in the way that he spoke to my mother, particularly, um, many years. And what I um, finally found out was that when I realized that I had an internal, what I call an internal misogynist inside, as soon as I learned that and started dealing with that voice inside of me by doing, and we brought, bring up these exercises in the book, but what I did was I confronted that internal misogynist and I talked to it and I said, you know, I appreciate uh all the things that you've tried to do to help me survive so far, 
but what I need to now is change the relationship with you so that you can support me and not criticize me. And if you continue to criticize me, then I need to stop and not listen to you. And so as I started to learn how to do that inside, that by the time it came um, for me to have a conversation with my father about it, I, it was much easier to say it to him. And it changed his life. So much so that his friends contacted me and asked me, what did you do and how did you, how did you do this? And they wanted to talk to their daughters and their wives about how to affect this kind of change. That is so phenomenal. And how exciting to have... It was really exciting. Yeah. But it did start with the self, as you pointed out, right? Well, I think that's the core, is that I think it's kind of like, you know, external life is is not in our purview to always change. We Really, the internal world is is totally ours to work with. We can have it be any way we want it to be, but we're so trained to not feel that way. But actually, I can have uh, basically the power to have dialogue inside of me so that I can treat myself differently. And when I treat myself differently, it gives me more capacity to, to ask others to do the same. It gives me more strength. I, that is a, another so powerful nugget I'm going to call it a nugget of that internal dialogue that that that's more than a nugget that that's a huge rock I think inside of us that perhaps is not acknowledged sufficiently as to how it controls so much of our life is that inner dialogue and and really becoming aware of it and watching what is being said and and how to change that mhm it's amazing the impact that the internal dialogue has on a person's self-esteem. It's uh, one of the more extraordinary uh, discoveries, I think, in psychology in general is, is the internal, person's internal world and how they can actually shift that so that they, have, they feel released to be themselves. And these are the kinds of awarenesses we can really find it in a book, which is amazing. Your story is your power, free your feminine voice. And Susie, I'm sure this is coming from your work as a psychotherapist over the years, but you're also sharing your personal stories. So it's really a, a combination of all of that, isn't it? I think that's the way to go. You know, when I stepped into the field, one of the things that, that you learn early on is especially if you, you know, go to a school that really emphasizes this, is that you need to do your own work before you step into a session with a client. And I think it's been one of the most effective tools I've had to be a really good clinician, which is when I work on my stuff, it clears the space for me to be available to other people. And in this case in particular, it also models the way forward. If I can sit in presence with a client, they pick up, unconsciously, as it were, they pick up on what the, what the presence of the, the therapist is like. And so, and that's one of the things that they're finding more and more about psychology is that people say, what's the best theory? What's the, um, what's the best approach to psychology? And there's a lot of, you know, thought about that. But one of the things that they've discovered is it's not so much about the theory, but the presence of the therapist. So in this case, the more that we do our work, 
And the more that we find internal coherence, the easier it is for us to be in relationship. And they've also found this with parents. When, when parents have an internal coherent narrative, having e- their children have an easier time attaching to them. So this type of work, this discovering what your story is and learning about you and getting that third-party observer developed is such a key, um, a key intervention in one's life to, to have effective uh, relationships with oneself and other people. Yes. Totally across the board. Of course, parents and their children, that family thinking about teachers in classrooms and having that as well, really being able to to just build that, not that you're doing sessions, but just having that integrity of character, uh, it's it's uh, something that the children can feel and, and learn from, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, in fact, there's research that was done quite a long time ago that the, it, when, a, when a teacher has the impression that their kids are intelligent, whether students are intelligent, they, they perform to that. And I think taking that a little step further, it's like when a, when, when a person has compassion for themselves, which is part, one of the side effects of doing this work is, is, um, is having self-compassion, having a sense that I've done what I needed to do to, be, to do the thing that's right. And um, when you have a sense of that, self-esteem builds and other people get to experience that and want that and also feel at rest when someone has self-esteem, when they're with them. So it makes it easier to interact. This is such invaluable work. The messages are so critically important. And we may have kind of this knowing that's going on, but in isolation without kind of support around us, if we're not growing up in a family where there is the self-aware parents, then we might be kind of floundering to know then that, ah, here's a pathway and it's going to lead me forward. But Susie, it is a lifelong pathway, isn't it? Yes. Well, and I think that, that it is and it isn't. I think it's a lifelong pathway in terms of how to continue the work. But there are moments where, like with my father, where there are successes that shift people's lives. And so I think that um, there are, along the way, there are uh, incredible experiences with it. So there's, and I say this because I think that when you're, when I have found and working with people and myself and I'm on this path, it can get, um, it can get lonely, kind of like what we talked about at the beginning, but there are, there's such a um, relief and knowing that everyone on some level has to take this journey and um, to find out about themselves, to have, you know, especially people that really dream, in order to get to those dreams and be able to act on those dreams, one really wants to take a look at the blocks to getting to those dreams. And, and I know we haven't, like, we've talked about the family. There's also a big cultural component to this. Like, you know, when I was a kid, we had a lot of commercials, you know, fairy tales, all these images that come at us that would tell us sort of how to be in the world. Like, you know, like you look at Cinderella, you look at Sleeping Beauty, and they were these beautiful women that were really kind and got the handsome prince and got to live happily ever after. And that was what little girls took in at that time. 
And so what I noticed about culture in me, like, for example, there was a Batman episode. I don't know, did you watch Batman when you were a kid? Actually, no. <laughs> okay, well, there was a Batman episode where Gotham City was taken over by women, and nothing got done because they sat around looking in the mirror, putting their lipstick on. Mm. And as a child, what I took in was, oh, men are more efficient. Men are more uh, capable of getting things done, and women are just focused on what they look like. And uh, later, when I put that together, well, of course, that's the cultural image of women because that's the cultural imperative for women, right? Women are supposed to be beautiful. That's what they're supposed to do in order to have a successful life. This is so incredible. The two stories that you're sharing about your family and about the culture with even just this one particular television show or movie, it brings to light so many ways that we might find that as a hook, like, I know a comparable situation. I can identify with that in this other space. Realizing then it's just such a huge awareness as to what might be going on in our life today. Yeah, I think that's really why it's important to take a look at one's life and what's been impacting me so that I can say, okay, so my imperative is I'm supposed to be beautiful. And what happens when you can't or what happens when, you know, you start to think, well, I don't want to spend all my time trying to be beautiful. There's so many things that I want to do. And then I can go inside and say, wait a minute, I don't want to have all this time focused on something that I don't particularly value. And I want to change. I want to do something different. But there's a lot of fear involved, right? Because when you take a look at those things that the culture says that I'm supposed to do, and I go against that, what's going to happen? And that's the scary part about this and the most fulfilling part, because most people that tend to step on this path start to find that the more they get to the center of their self and what they really value, what they really want in their lives, then they feel much happier. It's so simple in a way, and yet uh, it can be complex and it takes work. But knowing that the possibility, it's really possible, it's doable, it is work. But the awareness, knowing that we can do it, Susie, I think is just the greatest important message that we can convey. I think so. And so, back to the situation at hand that uh, here is the book, Your Story Is Your Power, Free Your Feminine Voice. So this is available, of course, at all of our favorite book sources currently, right, Susie? Yes. Yes. So it's available. You owe it to yourself to have a copy. It's a great book that is filled with these exercises that can be our guide. But to enhance that... This week, we do have the opportunity because, Susie, you're going to be here in town at a couple of events. We should just recap those, shall we? Sure. We'll be here on March 9th at the Seattle Think Space, and that starts at 6 p.m. And we'll be giving a talk and doing a book signing. And then we'll also be there on March 10th, which is at the Women's Catalyst at the Riveter. And that starts at 2 p.m. And we'll be doing a talk and book signing as well. And what's really wonderful about the events is, as we had touched on, is that sense of community, of uh, potentially connecting with kindred spirits, just realizing that this community does exist 
and uh, come with a friend, come alone. Either way, it's going to be really empowering, wouldn't you say? I would say so. If, well, I'd like to think so. <laughs> yes. Now, I trust it is just because the opportunity to come together and knowing the content of your story is your power. This is definitely something that uh, is a gift we can give ourselves, I believe. Right. Well, Susie Herrick, it's been so wonderful to have you join us this morning. Such important work, and I just value all of your stories and your experiences. Thank you, Katie, so much for doing this. I really think it says a lot that this content is on your, your radio show. Thank you. You're so welcome. And to get details, information, time, tickets for Susie's events in Seattle, simply go to eventbrite.com. You'll see Seattle, Washington, and actually Susie's events right at the top of the page. Very simple. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Susie Herrick and Sunday Morning Magazine with Anna Gottlieb and Liz Lang from Cancer Pathways. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Click on the On Air tab, Sunday mornings, and then look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of finding and feeling your personal power. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9, the station to pick you up and make you feel good. Good morning.